This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Welcome to Overdue. This is a podcast that, about the books that you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. I almost got away from you. Woo, it really did. This is a rare daytime recording. We're recording it on Labor Day. Like, the whole vibe. There's sunlight streaming in through my window. I don't know what yeah, to do. Yeah, I don't like it. <laughs> so if, if so I went goofs... to a cookout yesterday and oh, I drank yeah. some beers and so I drank beers yesterday but not today and it's just totally and my head's in a whole different <laughs> <Wait>. space <laughs> what is that how do yesterday beers affect the show for you it's just usually i'm recording the show like while i'm drinking beer instead of after with a refreshing beverage after a long day of work right and now Which i haven't is, done yes. any work and i feel ironically like, enough ironically enough on labor day well, you have done point. no work. You're not supposed to do any work. Then we should call it Don't Labor Day. Yeah, that makes sense. Let's talk about how the show works where one of us reads a book and talks about it to the other person uh, who may or may not have read that book. And it's presumably a book that people have at least heard of or that we've heard of. And this week, it was a book that one of our listeners had heard of and recommended to us. So we're doing it. Yep. What's that's that, right. What's that book, Andrew? Um, this book is called The Martian, and it's by Andy Weir. I think it's Weir, right? Or is yeah. it Wire? No, I bet it's Weir. The, the word Weir is spelled that way, and it's like some sort of dam or something. I don't know. So that's Andy a, Weir. Yeah, Andy Weir. Do you know anything about him? He was born in... Andy Weir was born in 1972, and he was born in California, and his... Dad was a particle physicist and his mom was an electrical engineer and he has done some like software development. Yeah, apparently and, yeah. he uh he was like doing computer programming at age nine. Now, I don't know if he was just like, you know, hacking Math Blaster or what he was doing at age yeah, nine. Yeah, because I mean, I was doing like I was tweaking the code for QBasic gorillas and making it. Making it crazy when I was nine, but I'm not a real. I I would say that's real computer. Would you call it hacking if I was renaming characters in a video game? Kind of. People call everything hacking, which, which I don't know. It devalues the term because what like I knew how to use the DOS prompt, and so everybody who saw me doing that thought I was hacking. Oh well, yeah, because it was just like text, and it looked like a hacker movie. CD backslash hacked. Yeah, that's how it works. Uh, he also got an internship at the Sandia National Labs when he was like 15 or something, and they've they've uh -huh. been working on all sorts of stuff. Apparently, they're owned by Lockheed Martin now and work on like cognitive programming science or something crazy like that. So, <laughs> so there's three words that may or may not have anything to do with each other. <laughs> he worked at AOL and he worked at Blizzard, where he worked on the game Warcraft 2, which I thought was a fun fact. Yeah. He uh, went, yes, it is. I played a lot of that game, actually. 
as well as the expansion, Tides of Darkness. They had boats in that one, Andrew. Nerd check. It's a good expansion. Wait, is that what the tides were about? Yeah. The, the boats on the tides of darkness? Were, there were boats. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> he, uh, he studied computer science uh, in college, but he ran out of tuition money and dropped out, and then he started getting those jobs at like Blizzard and AOL. And apparently, he got a pretty nice severance package from AOL, which allowed him to start pursuing fiction writing. Cool. But he couldn't get anything published. He was like pitching all these books uh, and no one was picking them up. He had a website called Galactonet, which is still there. Galactonet.com. You can find some short stories by Andy Weir. Uh, I think he originally published The Martian there as like a multi-part serialized story. Yeah, it was like a chapter at a time. And that's that's one of the interesting things about the publication history of this book is he posted it to his website a chapter at a time. People kind of asked him to put it up on Amazon, just like self-publish it so they could read it on their Kindles. And then he did that. He posted it for 99 cents. It sold um, like 35,000 copies or something. And then, yeah, that that was enough to attract attention from publishers. And then from from Hollywood, Uh Tinseltown. (laughs) <laughs> and it's it's the book's being made into a movie this year. It's going to be out in October. It's got Matt Damon in it. I'm sure it's going to be great. Yeah, it'll probably be pretty good. He said in an interview that he thought Aaron Paul would do a really good job. That was before they cast Matt Damon. I think he's probably fine with Matt Damon. Yeah, I mean, Aaron Paul would probably do fine. I feel like Aaron Paul's got too much depth to play the character of this book, though. Interesting. Oh, book. sneak preview. <laughs> Okay, uh, before we move on to the book, so what's really fun about the internet, this is like a general point I'm going to make, is that people's previous stuff is up there for posterity, and that's like a lesson that you try to teach folks from a safety perspective, but I also like that I can go to Galactonet and read Andy Weir's like mermaid fiction and his Holmes fan fiction and Doctor Who stories. Which is, but then like the one website he has for the Martian is just a big picture of Matt Damon's face and like an interview with him. This is yeah, what's that's great. the difference between a website that you built yourself and a website that a PR department builds for you. <laughs> I just like that that those two versions of Andy Weir still exist. He's also petrified of planes, of flying on planes. Yeah, so apparently been on a plane since two thousand seven. I guess that's a long time. Apparently, you know. All of the initial deals that went down were most of them just happening over the phone. And so for, you know, he likes to tell the story that he thought it was a scam for a long time until the checks started showing up. And then he thought, well, they must not be very good at scamming. (laughs) Craig, I'm trapped on Mars. Whoa. And... My razor is so old. <laughs> how, wait, how old is it? It's so old that I hate it and I want to die. <laughs> is that because you're on Mars or is it because your beard is now untenable? It's both. It's a little of both. <laughs> oh, no. You got to get rid of that Mars razor, Andrew, but I don't know how to help you. What should you uh, do? If only before I had left Earth, I had gone to dollarshaveclub.com. <laughs> Who is that and what do they do? 
DollarShaveClub.com is going to revolutionize the way that you shave. Oh, cool. In- instead of going into a store and paying a million dollars for razor blades, I think every time we do the spot, the value of the <laughs> crappy grocery store blades is going to go up. Because that feels like what happens every time you go into the grocery store. It's Mars inflation. The razors cost more on Mars. Right. It's like Mars razors are like 0.4 earth razors yeah gravity and razors are the same that's true uh-huh. uh-huh yeah i think i figured it out okay but if you're a, if you're an earthling like me what should i what happens you go to dollarshaveclub.com slash overdue you pick yourself out they, a fancy razor they have three different kinds of blades that they use there's like a two blade option a four blade option and the executive whoa which is the fancy six blade that's option. <sighs> yep okay your, your hairs your hair's gonna be running scared from that one i'll tell you what <laughs> Um, you buy them, and then every month or every two months, you customize the interval because only you know what your face needs. That's true. They'll send you a new box of four blades right to your door. No going to the store. No paying $20, $30, $800 for a box of blades. Uh huh. It's just that simple. And where do you go? You go to dollarshaveclub.com slash overdue. If you are on Earth and you have Earth internet. Yeah, I don't know if they'll send it to Mars. If but. you're on Mars, like I think they've got plans to expand there, but I can't, like I can't speak authoritatively on that. Great. You only you know what your face needs. <laughs> Dollar shit glove talk. <laughs> <laughs> so, Andrew, Craig. What the heck is this book about? Okay, The Martian is a book about this guy named Mark Watney, who's part of a mission to Mars. He's part of Ares 3, which is the third manned mission to Mars in the fiction of this book. Is the um, book set in a specific year? Like, how far out is this set? Not a specific year, like, roughly contemporary with with when it was being written and published, so, like, early 2010s. Okay, just assuming that we had the technology to do it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. The e- I mean, the ebook was first published in 2011. Sure. And then the audiobook came out in 2013, and then the the edited hardcover version of it came out in February of 2014. So cool. pretty pretty recent book. Um, all right. So he's he's part of this mission to Mars. They're supposed to be there for 31 days. When you're on Mars, you call an Earth day a soul, I guess. S o s o l. Oh, like a because like, yes. like a day on Mars is going to be different than a day on Earth. So yes. yeah, you have to distinguish. Um, but on day six, there's this windstorm. It's picking up intensity. It's it's faster and harsher than the equipment was made to withstand. And they are told by NASA to pull out. So they're going to their little aircraft to like shoot up away from Mars, and Mark gets hit by a piece of like flying debris and it breaches his suit and nobody can find him because nobody can see anything because of the storm and so he gets left behind on mars left for dead but he's not dead he's alive surprise so it's a survival book it's um it's part like hatchet like space hatchet (laughs) and part apollo 13 it's not my side of the mountain no he didn't elect to run away to mars (laughs) Because he was tired of city life or whatever my side of the mountain was about. Okay. Um, 
There's no so Bando the rest, on Mars, is what you're saying. No, there's not. And there, I mean, he's the only thing on. He's the only person on Mars. He is the Martian. It's not about like aliens or anything. Ah. Um, I had such is, high hopes. He's writing another book called Zek, I think. S- Whoa. Or Z H E K. And okay. it's apparently going to be a more tra- a more traditional sci-fi novel with aliens, telepathy, faster than light travel, and so on. But uh, this is just about a guy who's stuck on Mars. Okay. So the first little chunk of the book is him taking stock of what he's got on hand and what he needs to survive and like what are his chances of surviving until Ares 4, which is the next manned mission, which is supposed to show up in like four years or something. Oh man! And like, and what are his odds can, of surviving that? Is he able to like let them know that he's there? Eventually. So okay. okay. So the book ends up bouncing back and forth between him on Mars, like NASA back on Earth, and then eventually you start hearing a bit from the other five people who were on Mars with him who left. Okay. Um. And yeah, he like he finds the old Pathfinder probe and he digs it up and he uses it as like a communication conduit back to earth like the whole book is him just like macgyvering different (laughs) combinations of technology and like fixing problems as they arise and sometimes causing more problems for himself and i don't know he 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 survives he get well kind of well Well, how does he (laughs) he gets off of mars do you need to? We don't need to jump to the end of the book so quickly. I already did. Too late. Oh, the Martian. What do you <laughs> want to know? Like, what do you? It's... How does he survive? A okay. I have a couple of questions. How is it told? I know you told me like a couple of different perspectives, but like, what is the style of the book, and how you know is that effective? And then let's get into the plot. Like, what is it like to survive on Mars, and how the heck does he do it? Um, all right, it's told primarily as a series of logs from him. Okay. So I guess like he's recording it, like speaking it, or he's writing it. It would make the most sense if he was speaking it, I guess. Is he doing things while the logs are going on? It's, you know how like there are shows like Modern Family where it's <laughs> ostensibly supposed to be a documentary. But we but have no it clue. It's the ghost cameras. It doesn't make sense like how they would be recording it the way that they were if it was a documentary because some of the talking heads seem to be like happening contemporaneously with the action of yeah of the the rest of it. Yeah, that makes sense. So yeah, like sometimes it's it's clearly after the fact. Sometimes like he's mid emergency and like keeping log messages, and it's not clear if he's like doing the stuff he's describing as he's as he's doing it or what the deal is, or if he's just like trying to act like he is in the middle of something as he's recording it to like make it more intense or something. I'm not, I don't know. No, I think I know what you mean. It's the, it's that catch 22 of audio logs in, you see it in a lot of games as a narrative device where it's like, but why is that person like whipping out a recording device while they're being chased by a monster? Right. Yeah. Like half of the logs end with them being like gunned down or something. Like, why were they, why are they recording their diaries? Like, or isn't there, there's like a Monty Python bit, I think, right. Where the guy is like signing off on a, on a sign and it just, it's just, ah, as he's like screaming as he's dying and bleeding to death like writing on a piece of paper or something (laughs) 
So, yeah, so does, does a, that? Yeah, how does that reveal he, character? Do you get a sense of who he is? Do you get a like? Is he a cool guy? Would you want to hang out with him? He's. He thinks he's funny. Uh oh. <laughs> Listen, all right. Wait, I'm gonna I'm wait. We've gonna, had that. We've had in. that criticism levied against us. So let's let's give him a fair shake. I suppose. We think we're funny. <sighs> He makes like jokes and it's Uh-oh. like all through the book, like his sense of humor, like other people talk about it too. Like a sense of humor is supposed to be integral to keeping him sane and optimistic during this whole, this whole Mars mission, which is like, which is fine, I guess, but it doesn't allow for a very like deep character. And also humor is subjective. And so maybe you don't think he's as funny as he thinks he is. Okay. So like, here's a, here's the thing he's, he's writing in his log about a problem that he's trying to solve and he comes up against this term kilowatt hours per soul and he decides that it's a pain to say and that he's going to invent a new name to call it in his log and he decides he's going to call them pirate ninjas (laughs) which is like like you could think that was funny and i guess i'm not gonna like judge you if you got to that and you laughed really loud but it's also from like the internet randomness school of funniness. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's like you just put two words together and it's I don't know, it's like the oatmeal comic come to life. It's okay. like, Oh, it's a it's a they're bacon monkeys. <laughs> I'm funny. <laughs> Axe cop in space is what you're saying. It, well, Axe Cop is gets a pass because it's written by like an eight year old. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Um but do you do you hmm. is that is is that just his personality is that because he's been on mars too long where now he's like he thinks he's a pirate ninja no that's just his personality the whole time and then that's one criticism of the book that i've run up against and that i had also was that the book does not really explore like the psychological effects of being alone on Mars for a year and a half, which is the amount of time that he ends up being alone on the planet for. Okay. It's, he's just kind of the same person throughout and he's just calmly solving problems the whole time. And he's making the same jokes the whole time. And he's like, I don't know. He, there, there are things that the other crew members left behind. Like one person really likes disco and seventies music. One person leaves behind some books and stuff. And he's always like, Okay, it's time to watch another episode of Three's Company. I wonder what that Mr. Roper is going to get up to. It you're conveying a a distaste or just a general malaise about the person you spend most of the book with, which we've run against before. We've had this yeah, problem before. Yeah, so I mean that that's the voice that you're in and and it's usually it's fine and sometimes it's a little grating, but whatever. And then the other problem that I had with it, especially like getting into it, like the first fifth of it or so, is that it we took a lot of pain to make it like as scientifically accurate as possible. That's what I've heard. Um, you yes. know, given given that we haven't actually been to Mars and all that fun stuff, he he tried to make it true to true to life and there were even some adjustments that he made between the ebook version and the final published book book version based on like feedback that he got from real scientists and, and whatever, like clearly he's, he's a big NASA nerd, big space nerd. Mm -hmm. And he's just really enthusiastic about all this stuff. And he thinks it's really awesome, which is, which is great. But like there are big passages of the book where you're just, it feels like you're reading a big story problem. Oh, okay. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the funnest voice to (laughs) 
spend a bunch of time in like let me flip to i guess that that seems somewhat related to what you were saying about it maybe not feeling like a deep character study because if Weir took the greater pains to you know do all the maths right and solve all the physics to make this happen which to be honest is a perfect elevator pitch right it's i've written this book about what it would take to survive on mars and i made it as scientifically accurate as possible like that's a really good hook especially if you can show most of your work which i think we're can um but that means that he may not have gone into the book intending even to do an emotional deep dive you know because well, i the the book got its its start as like him trying to just calculate okay what would like if i was going to go from earth to mars like what would the orbits be like what if i ran into this problem what if i ran into this problem and he and he he built a survival book on top of that which is totally fine like a totally legitimate foundation to build a survival book on top of it just there there are times when it there are times when it's more fun than other times um so okay here's here's uh, an example from early in the book he's figuring out you know okay so he's got all these he's got some food rations it was it was obviously intended to keep six people alive for 30 days and he's just like doing the math about how he can stretch that and he's trying to make it last for like the four years that he would need it to if he was going to make it you know until the next mission to mars gets here and now he's talking about farming and growing his own food on mars and trying to figure that out uh so fortunately i have water but not as much as i want to be viable soil needs 40 liters of water per cubic meter my overall plan calls for 9.2 cubic meters of soil so i'll eventually need 368 liters of water to feed it the hab has an excellent water reclaimer the hab is short for like habitat it's a little bubble dome that he spends most of his time in cool uh, best technology available on Earth, so NASA figured, why send a lot of water up there? Just send enough for an emergency. Humans need three liters of water per day to be comfortable. They gave us 50 liters each, making 300 liters total in the hab. I'm willing to de- dedicate all but an emergency 50 liters to the cause. That means I can feed 62.5 square meters at a depth of 10 centimeters, about two-thirds of the hab's floor. It'll have to do. That's the long-term plan. For today, my goal was five square meters. Uh, I wadded up blankets and uniforms for my departed crewmates to serve as one edge of a planter box with the curved walls of the hab being the rest of the perimeter. It was as close to five square meters as I could manage. I filled it with sand to a depth of 10 centimeters. Then I sacrificed 20 liters of precious water to the dirt gods. And like, they're just big. Like, tell me how you'd feel like having heard that. I I've feel like I've read books that work in that voice and have come away enjoying them but you know i don't know if this is that book i will say my gut is my gut suspicion is that i might have enjoyed this book more than you i don't know and i don't know why that is maybe i would have been filling in more of the like background emotional stuff just because i wanted it to be in the book rather than you reading it going why isn't it in the book (laughs) you know i don't know i feel like i've read books where people are kind of so detail driven and the voice kind of focuses on uh the mundane to to good effect um yeah i mean 
I didn't dislike the book. I'm not gonna, I'm not going to say that and I'm like the the passages that are dry and not that fun to read. I think are generally outnumbered by the passages that aren't. And I get why you would want to show your work like this because you can't just be like, Oh, I knew all the stuff I needed to plant some crops. So I did it. And then it was fine. Like that's, (laughs) that's not a fun book either. Yeah, of course. But maybe the, like I'm trying to think back to like hatchet or like, I don't know. I, I think castaway was another thing that came up like as a reference point for this book. Yeah, of course. I think a lot of good survival fiction like this mm-hmm. delves deeper into into what it's like like the nature of solitude and stuff like this dude is on mars he's literally the only living thing on the planet mm-hmm. i mean if there, i mean if there is other life on mars and we don't know about it like that's a legitimate well there are potatoes debate, now purposes, right well okay the only <laughs> sentient the only like non-vegetable thing on mars potatoes have eyes andrew you don't know I do know that that comes up in the book because okay. he's talking about what he, what you need to do to grow potatoes in great detail. <laughs> but he is the only person there, and the book is not like stressing that part. Yeah. Okay. Like it comes up, but not in a way where he's like going crazy or like even as crazy as Tom Hanks was in Castaway like he still i think he was still like sane <laughs> by most definitions but well he also said. was like talking to a volleyball and well stuff well said well so here's a question in Castaway it's a good reference and i'll also say like it's in Hatchet it's in My Side it's in a lot of these survival stories is there anyone back home is he talking about his life on earth is you know are there reference points outside of Mars that are either driving him or holding him together or not? He has parents, but <laughs> they don't come up very often. He doesn't have like a romantic interest or anything, not among the ship's crew or anyone in mission control or I don't know. Well, cause that was a big thing in gravity. He's not really. That was a big thing. Gravity was a big thing. Like, Castaway had a big thing. I guess Hatchet sort of did because he missed his family or whatever. But yeah, I mean, you just need to set it up at the beginning that there are people who miss this person and that this person would really rather spend more time with than the rest of their life in solitude. And you give them that human hook to fight for. Uh, I could then see you diving into mundanity and science to kind of cope with that but if the book isn't laying that out then that's that's something else yeah i I guess there's a there's a case to be made about you know the day when you so much of your energy and and yeah brain is like entangled with just survival just like base human stuff Mm-hmm. you don't have as much time to worry about the social stuff. Like you, he's, he's, his mind is occupied most of the time. That's true. It, it's, he has to plan so far out. Right. And kind of not only ration food and supplies, but ration his own energy and ration his own daily activities so that he can make it until whoever comes, comes. Yeah. Um. So at that point, maybe you don't want to spend all night, thinking about 
your parents and what they're doing. I don't know. I've never been on Mars. I don't know how it works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like you don't I don't know, you don't you don't spend a lot of time with like he's he's just kind of the same the whole time he's there. Like they don't talk a lot about his physical condition even though he's eating like three quarter rations for a year and a half he's like eating potatoes and then just eating vitamins how long could you eat potatoes is that that how nutrition works can you just like eat empty calories and then vitamins and be fine i didn't think that's how vitamins worked well i'm sure he's not in great shape by the end he's not getting a lot of protein so he's probably going to lose some muscle mass i would think I guess like it's just not it's not he's not going to be super jacked when he comes off Mars. He's not a character who develops like you don't get a sense that his time on Mars really changed him. Like the big point that the book has to make that it makes at the end is that it's amazing how humanity like can can come together to to rescue other people or to like be good to other people so like when an earthquake happens or something like everybody like a lot of people donate money to the victims of the earthquake it's just amazing how we all bind together in times of trouble or whatever because lots of different countries and people and scientists all came together to like rescue him from mars and that's the that's the grand statement that the book has to make about humanity it's nothing about like aloneness or or anything Mm. like that it's about it's kind of a vague platitude about how in, in it great that we're all basically good. Well, does it does it assume that we're all basically good or is it telling a story in the hope that we will see that in ourselves? I mean, there's no real antagonist. Well, I guess, which is well Mars, thing. come Mars on. Is kind of an Mars is the most antagonistic planet. It's named after a god of war. And it's just a bunch of dirt. That's an antagonist if I ever heard of one. Yeah. I mean, it's not a super interesting antagonist. Is he able to grow potatoes in Martian soil? Are they Martian well, potatoes? He, he okay, it's explained it's a, it's described in great detail. So if you had read the book, you would know all about it. There were some soil samples that they brought from Earth. Oh. And so he took that and plus his own poop fertilizer that he made. <laughs> plus martian soil and he mixed it all together and all the like the bacteria from the earth soil and the fertilizer and everything was all coming together and like making the martian soil viable but he's doing this all within like his little habitat he can't you can't just grow stuff on the face of mars because it's super cold out there okay that makes sense I, i read the book and i didn't dislike it but I didn't love it, and it's just kind of there. Like it's just a thing that you so spent much some of time it, doing. Yeah, and then you you like flash back to Earth, and you flash to the other people who he was there with. But you don't get a really like, I, and maybe this is just a, this is a weakness that some writers have, or a weakness that people who haven't written a lot have. But like all of his other characters, kind of sound the same. Like they have the same voice and the same. Okay general perspective and like there's some attempts to like differentiate them or give them characteristics but like at at the i don't know at the root of it like so take the five people who he was there with the commander lewis is she's is the one who likes 70s music so her whole character thing is like loving disco and abba and stuff to the point where there's a scene where she is talking with her husband at home and he tells her about this like sweet 
collector's ABBA disc or something that he found. Like that's the that's her character is seventies. I mean, another to guy, be honest, another Andrew. guy's character is German. Okay. Um, another one is the hot one. <laughs> well, that's problematic. Another one is the one who likes the hot one. Also problematic. This is, I mean, some some things about this are just like, okay, this is like a forty year old white dude writing it. Like he talks about like having a ghetto Mars rover because he like <sighs> tore it up and. Ugh. Okay. Um, That's a thing you could say, I suppose. There's a section where he's writing things to his different crew members, partly to try and get them to like not feel bad because no, nothing that happened was their fault. Um, okay. Johansson is the hot one's name. So he's writing a letter to her. Um, Johansson, your poster outsold the rest of ours combined. You're a hot chick who went to Mars. You're on dorm room walls all over the world. Looking like that, why are you such a nerd? And you are, you know, a serious nerd. I had to do, I had to do some computer shit to get Pathfinder talking to the rover, and oh my god. And I had NASA telling me what to do every step of the way. You should try to be more cool. Wear dark glasses and a leather jacket. Carry a switchblade. Aspire to a level of coolness known only as botanist cool. Did you know Commander Lewis had a chat with us men? If anyone hit on you, we'd be off the mission. I guess after a lifetime of commanding sailors, she's got an unfairly jaded view. Anyway, the point is, you're a nerd. Remind me to give you a wedgie next time I see you. So there's more Watney humor. There's some, like, problematic stuff where she's smart, but... Too smart. What she should really be proud of is that a bunch of college boys, like, bought her poster and hung it on their wall. She should be cool to be in like the Farrah Fawcett of Mars. Of, of Mars astronauts. Yeah. yeah, that's not okay. All right. And that's all Watney? Yeah, that's all directly from him. Interesting. So like... Does the book want just, you to like him? Maybe he... Yeah, the book wants you to like him. Of course the book wants you to like him. He's like... I mean, Andy Weir has gone on the record. There's a little interview with him that's published at the end of the book and Andy Weir has gone on the record as being like Mark Watney is like the idealized version of me where I'm like cool and in times of crisis and can solve problems and I'm super smart and stuff like it's he's just he's just the author mostly okay and I think maybe that's why so much of the book sounds that has kind of a samey voice is because it's all coming from from that perspective. Yeah, you just can't you can't get out of the author's head. Is any of the survival stuff fun? Are there like set piece moments where certain tragedies happen that you're you were at least interested to see how he solved them in a like MacGyver sort of way? Oh yeah, there's there's plenty of stuff like that. I mean there's there's just so much of it that you are bound to like that some of it is bound to hit. Okay, I mean, so give me some examples. Bound to miss too. Um he's driving from his landing site to the Ares four landing site. Like the, the solution they eventually hit on is that they're going to send the crew back to Mars and he's going to use the launcher from the next mission, which is already there okay. to launch up and like hook up with them. Okay. So he's driving there and he's like driving down this ramp and the soil all looks fine, but some of it's packed down and some of it's really soft and sandy still. So his little Rover flips over and he has to like, he has to put it back together and make sure nothing was damaged. I mean, there's another sequence where the hab blows up because there was a rip in the seam and a seam and an airlock and he didn't know about it. And so he has to like reconstruct it. And also his suit is really damaged. Like there's some, 
there's some sequences definitely where you're kind of worried about him and okay. just interested enough in what is happening that that you get sucked into it. Like especially at the end, the you know the whole final sequence where he's trying to get off of the planet is pretty compelling. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't want to say that I didn't like any parts of this book because that's not true. But like, there's so many like basic building blocks of it that just I don't personally find super compelling. Okay. That I don't think it's as good a book as it could have been. Fair enough. Like you I think you can. Yeah. I think you could still make a book that has like optimistic things to say about humanity that isn't like super dark or not fun to read. That doesn't make like Mark a mope who you don't want to spend a bunch of time with. Like, I think I mean, we'll get into this when we do the Lord of the Rings stuff. I mean, maybe we've already done some of it by the time people are actually listening to this. But part of the problem with that book is that Frodo is kind of a bummer a lot of the time. <laughs> I don't know if you've run into that yet. Yeah. Yeah. Like in your read through, but yeah. he's not, he's not the most fun protagonist. Like a lot of the fun stuff is happening like adjacent to him and around him. That's true. So you don't, you don't want to like saddle your book with a protagonist like that. No. Necessarily. But you, but you don't I want think you this could also, like fake you could also, space fawns that is Watney. It's you could just, <laughs> you could add depth without, without like ruining the stuff that I think Weir was going for when okay. he wrote the book. Okay. Were you impressed at all by the science of it? Like the either the ingenuity or the or the comprehensive uh approach that Weir took. Is there stuff that you were like, wow, I didn't think that I would have thought to do that because I if don't you have like a degree that, in physics. If you like that scene, well, I mean I I do not I can't like verify how accurate any of this is. Well, so I assume that it's all very impressive. Okay, sure. <laughs> <laughs> if you dig that scene in Apollo thirteen, uh-huh. Where the dude is like, oh, no, they need new filters. So they come in and they dump a big bag of stuff. And they're like, this is what they have up there. Let's make a filter out of it. Okay. If you're like into that part of that movie, then you'll be into this. What if you enjoyed watching all those dudes cheer when that thing landed on Mars? Are you going to be into this? What? When they put that, when they put the Curiosity rover on Mars. Oh, you mean Space Twitter? Yes. Space Twitter loves space. (laughs) I don't. I do not think that that is an applicable comparison. Well, so one of the things about that whole like what you called the platitude at the end of the book is like that's at the heart of people who are jazzed about space travel. Maybe you just aren't jazzed about space travel, Andrew. Have you thought I like about space that? Space travel, fine. I watch a bunch of Star Trek. I don't think that we're doing anything that's super cool right now. Like. Well, that's because we have to do the bored stuff first. We have to get well, jazzed about the cool. It's because uh, we're not stuff. like we're not racing the Russians to the moon anymore, and so there's no there's no like pressure for anybody to make anything cool. And then also there's the very real criticism that we have plenty of problems at home to fix, and True. so maybe we shouldn't dump billions of dollars in like Mars missions or whatever. But like I think the the all the stuff that Star Trek does about humanity being like explorers and whatever. Like, I think, I think that's pretty cool. And I, I like that like in real life, <laughs> but the stuff we're doing in space is like, Oh, Hey, we're up in orbit. Oh, Hey, we have like this big space station that we made, I guess. Yep. Um, I don't know. We're not going anywhere. Well, so do you, would you like to join the Mars society, Andrew? Well, I would die up there. 
No, I'm the Mars Society is another corner of the internet I found in preparation for this show. And they are a pe- they are a group of people who believe in public outreach that fosters Mars pioneers, worldwide support for government-funded Mars research and exploration, and private enterprise Mars exploration and settlement. So these are people who are like, hey, listen, everybody, we need a big, hairy goal. We need a big, hairy, audacious goal for humanity, and it's called Mars. So let's go. And ideally, I think their hope is that you can, like, you band together all the people who are too busy fighting about, like, whatever down here and say, isn't Mars pretty cool? (laughs) And everyone works real hard together and they forget their differences and then we all go to Mars and have a great Mars party. I think that's what they're working towards. I mean, that's the whole thing with Star Trek is that the the supposition is that we discovered there were other things out there and then we all got over our own stuff <laughs> with each other like really fast after that which seems a little anathema to human nature it seems a no, little i mean there there are some star trek shows that delve into human nature a little bit better than others but yeah. like the 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 shiny clean gene Roddenberry version of the star trek universe is that we all get along and we don't care about petty stuff anymore I think it's ironic that Andy Weir, when asked the question, Star Wars or Star Trek, responded, Doctor Who? I feel like that's a cop-out. Well, that's one, that's but. also a show that like willingly embraces the term timey-wimey when explaining things. And yet he wrote this book that's like, hey, I did all the math. I did all the math for you. Yeah. But I mean, I guess I haven't seen a lot of Doctor Who. You've seen a lot more of it than I have. But mm-hmm. There is an inherent probably, optimism like it, to that show. Well, and I, I think I, my understanding of it is that it takes itself a shade less seriously than like Star Wars and Star Trek do. Also true, yes. A lot of the time, mm-hmm. um, and maybe that's, I don't know that 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 certainly seems to have influenced Weir's like writing style. Yeah, I would probably I would venture like that to that's to be true. to be as truthful and accurate as possible, but without like. I guess maybe he just didn't want to write a super heavy self-serious book to be. I mean, this book is like 369 pages long and I read it in about 24 hours. So <laughs> I mean, maybe yeah. he just wanted to write something that was light and fun and scientifically accurate. And if that was, you know, mission accomplished, if that's what he wanted to do. But personally, my taste is a little more like I, I would want it to be a little more complex than that. Fair enough. I do want to talk quickly about the Mars Direct idea, which is apparently what he. Oh, is based. that the Amazon service that ships stuff straight to Mars? It's really expensive, though. Seventy-nine million dollars a year. <laughs> I don't. I don't even know how your brain fired that one off. That was like ready to go. Maybe you just spent a lot of time thinking about it's Amazon. Just any like anything followed by the word direct just okay. sounds like an Amazon <laughs> shipping service. <laughs> So Mars Direct uh, is endorsed by the Mars Society. And I, I want to read this to you real quick, Andrew, and then you can tell me how much of this is in the book because I do think that this is interesting. Um, this guy, Robert Zubrin, uh, in response to a lot of the late 80s, early 90s talk about how we might do a Mars mission. Apparently, I think it was called the Constellation Project. Uh, folks who know more than this should feel free to correct me. They He didn't like how NASA was going to gonna do it so he came up with his own plan which was send a rocket to mars that had a bunch of gas and materials on it and a return vehicle and you leave it there for like 10 months while it creates methane and oxygen so like farts and breathable air 
uh, out of all the carbon dioxide on Mars. And that's like making all the fuel for the return vehicle. So then on step two... That does, you, so that does basically happen in this book. Okay. You send, you send the vehicle up ahead of the astronauts and it just sits there and converts stuff into fuel. Great. So then you don't have to launch a bunch of fuel to Mars. Yeah. It reduces the amount of weight that you need because yeah. apparently weight is is the thing in space travel. Like it's the heavier, like there's a sequence where he's talking about batteries and NASA found a way to make like batteries lighter if they were larger. Interesting. And them being lighter is so much more important than them being smaller that that was actually like advantageous for them to do. Yeah. So step two, you send the astronauts, four of them, and then this was later revised to be six. And you- Six six people. Six people. Uh, I'm just with, gonna have a running commentary, I guess, <laughs> as you uh, with the habitation unit. And here's the part I found weird, Andrew. They said that they connect the like capsule to the booster in such a way that it spins and like creates fake gravity. Is that a thing they talk about in the book? Uh, yeah, that's crazy. I don't know yeah. how that would work. I don't know how I that would just not like fly it. away. It's just like <laughs> centrifugal force or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I just don't know how you would do that. Also on a booster that is going in a direction without like completely just messing everything up. But I'm not a physicist, so Yeah, I mean I guess you just have it you have it rotating like evenly and not too like I don't think you would need to rotate it too fast. Like it doesn't need to be like a carnival ride to keep everyone stuck <laughs> to the walls. It just needs to be going fast enough to approximate the gravity of I don't know if it's approximating the gravity of Mars or of Earth, but like, especially if you're going to have people in a space, like a spacecraft for like a year, you know, bone yeah. and muscle atrophy becomes a... Yeah, I think what I concern. read, they said it was supposed to be 1G. So it was supposed yeah. to be Earth gravity. Uh, yeah. And then what you do on the way back is then you like abandon the HAB unit uh, and use the thing that's already there to fly back. Yep. Um now, there's another version called Mars Semi-Direct, which I suppose is a less expensive service, Andrew. It's like a five-day five day yeah. shipping <laughs> for certain Those... items. <laughs> Not fresh food, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in that one, the first thing that you send out ends up orbiting the like the planet, and then it sends a smaller thing down to the surface that will like make the fuel and then ship it back up. So then you you like you're not launching as big of a contraption on and off of the planet surface. It seems yeah. a little more complicated. I think and- that's that's another thing that they did though. I do think they had a bigger unit that handled the interplanetary side of the travel and then a smaller thing that handled going down and then back up. Okay. Um yeah, cuz apparently what you're that's about it. Apparently what you're saying about weight, the figure I saw was that the cost of sending 20 people to Mars just one way is the cost of bringing four people back. And that's why, (laughs) so that's why the whole narrative right now is like, who wants to sign up to go to Mars and never come back? Have fun. Well, that's Mars one, right? Is the thing that's, it's it's some, it's a private company. I think that's theoretically seeking people to go to Mars who aren't interested in coming back. Yes. They're hoping to do it uh, by 2025. Like if we actually do that, if we find a bunch of, Though I'm going to go out, you know, the thing about politics that anybody who wants to like run for politics is automatically like a bad person to be, to have in charge of anything. Yeah. Because they're willing to go into politics. 
Yeah. Yeah. So okay. I, I feel like anybody who's willing to go to Mars and not come back is going to be, I think it's going to end up being like Big Brother or Real World in Space. <laughs> Rather than like a Star Trek y scientific mission. Well, they're gonna do it so that they can not get the, their poster on everyone's wall. Yeah. They're not, not doing to, like, it. Throw a bunch yeah. of shade at these Mars people, but <laughs> Well, and they had to apparently they had to screen them. Have they chosen these people yet? I, I don't know. I don't think so, but I've just I've wake me up when they launch when they're them, there. Basically. <laughs> okay. Well it'll like, be if Labor we have Day people again. On Mars, I'm gonna be paying yeah. all kinds of attention. Don't get me wrong. I think space is the coolest. I like this book prompted me to read some Wikipedia articles about like terraforming Mars ah. because did you ever play Sim Earth? No, but I've played plenty of games where terraforming is there and I love yeah. the like, idea there's of terraforming. A mode, there's a mode of Sim Earth where you terraform Mars. And yeah, it's all about like creating an atmosphere and then like melting some water at the polar ice caps and all this crazy stuff. Like if we were gonna terraform Mars, cool. I'm gonna go. Old man Andrew, get me on a ship. I'm gonna go be a Mars grandpa. But you do <laughs> Back in my day, the ground was red. Thanks, Mars grandpa. I don't know what you're talking about. Would you go on the one way though, Andrew? You wouldn't go on the one way. I it it depends on if you're talking about like twenty nine year old Andrew with his whole life out in front of him, or like eighty year old Andrew with his, all his best days behind him. <laughs> So Grandpa Andrew will go. If Grandpa yeah. Andrew has run out of Star Trek to watch and the podcast is over mm -hmm. and he's been told he can't have any more beer because he's had yeah, too much beer. I guess we could record it from like between Earth and Mars, but the lag would be. Heinous, we'd have to. Yeah, we'd have to like account for the lag because I'm, I'm probably going to stay. I'm just going to. It's be you talking to yourself. Yeah. <laughs> I will like read things that came in over the dot matrix space facts from you. I feel like I've been like overly critical of it and I want to I mean I've I've already repeated a few times that like I didn't hate it but I don't know maybe it'll translate better to a movie cuz I'm sure that I've actually bet it, it will. Like but what with like Tinseltown being what it is, I bet that they will introduce like a romantic subplot and a bunch of other stuff that that wasn't in this book and yeah, I just I just want Mark Watney to have more dimensions other than like wise cracking, eternally smooth space hero. <laughs> you know? And when you'll it, notice that we did not yeah. talk we didn't really talk about anybody on ground on, on the ground control at NASA mm -hmm. because like none of them are really interesting beyond like the roles that they have to play. Like the the way that the book jumps back and forth between space and NASA creates some interesting tension sometimes. Like there's a point where he's you know, he had Pathfinder communication with them for a while and then he accidentally breaks Pathfinder so they can't talk anymore. But he like he already knew that the plan was to go up to up to the Ares four like lander thing and get in it and use it to rendezvous with the crew coming back. Mm -hmm. Um but he doesn't know that there's like a big dust storm coming and so he has to like he has to figure that out for himself and but NASA knows about it and all they can do is hope that he figures it out. Hmm. Um there are a couple of sections where the book shifts into this like omniscient voice. Like usually it's really close third person or okay. first person yeah, you know, yeah, coming yeah. from coming from Watney writing in his little diary thing. 
but then it switches like in a couple of cases to like being it's like following the production of the hab canvas and it's because the canvas is going to eventually blow up or it's like oh okay or it's detailing how the martian landscape like came into existence because part of it's about to like give out under his rover like it's it's funny there are there are parts of what you're describing that remind me of moby dick like in the way that it would just take a break off from whale hunting to just talk about the parts of the whale that they're gonna hunt next or like the the, why the ship is built the way that it is or the history of a certain type of people that are on the boat like it's this you can when you die more like a like a if you're watching a movie and you have some people doing some stuff but then the camera cuts away to like a i don't know let's call it like a door or a valve or like a thermometer or something and the temperature is like going up and you're (laughs) and you you the the viewer is like oh no the temperature is going to go up they have to figure that out but they you know the people in the movie haven't figured it out yet and so you were like when is this Chekhov's gun oh it's yeah it's creating some dramatic irony for you yeah that's basically how okay we're is using it well that seems somewhat skillful that seems like a smart thing to do yeah again you know i'm not i'm i'm probably not giving it as much credit as it deserves because i wanted it to be a bit like a different book i guess <laughs> is Which, it a victim it of hype feel like a was it a hype hmm. victim you know i i don't think so okay it's not like it's so breezy like it goes by so fast that it's hard to be too upset at it for like not being the survival <laughs> book that I wanted to read. I don't know. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it really does. I had heard, I mean, I had, you know, of course it's a movie. I've, there are some people who I work with who have been very enthusiastic about this book and this author for a very long time. Um, I think maybe if you're more of a NASA nerd, now I like space stuff, but NASA frankly is not very exciting to me because of all the implied bureaucracy and, and again, the fact that they they just have not done anything very exciting in in a while. I suppose they did put that thing on Mars, though, Andrew. That was pretty cool. Yeah, I mean that was cool. They do some cool stuff, I guess. But I want to terraform Mars. I don't care. Don't put probe up there. <laughs> Call Andrew when there are people on go Mars. Make it into another Earth, and when I can get on the Mars bus and go over there, <laughs> then all right, NASA. Then you you win. All right, NASA, get back to us when Mars is suitable for space grandpas. You can uh, give us your space grandpa newsletter at overduepod at gmail.com, like I said before. Uh, Or you can share Mars videos to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash overduepod. Or tweet at us from Mars using this Mars grandpa hashtag at twitter.com slash overduepod. Andrew, if folks wanted to learn about our show and not NASA, what should they do? They could go to overduepodcast.com, which is an Earth website where we have <laughs> links to iTunes and Stitcher and RSS. Those are all things you can use to subscribe to the show. And if you subscribe on iTunes especially, leave us a rating, leave us a review. That makes us feel good. It helps us in the rankings. And it's just it's a good time for everybody, for the whole family. So this... Um, we, oh. Oh, sorry. So this episode is, like as we said earlier, a bonus episode thanks to our Patreon supporters. Uh, I want to thank uh, Ron, who donated to our Patreon campaign recently and set us over the top of another milestone goal, which is our merch store, which uh, we 
put out a post about this, but it'll come in the next indeterminable amount of time. We're we're starting a couple, that a couple months. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, we are committed to doing it now, so don't worry about that. Uh, and I think our goal is that anybody who is supporting the show through Patreon, as of you know the beginning of September, will be eligible for their free thing. But uh, we're gonna make it happen. And thanks to Ron for pushing us over the edge, and thanks to everybody who's been supporting the show for long enough to make it possible. Yeah, and let us know if you have ideas for stuff or things that you want. We already have a bunch of ideas. We're coming up with some more. We don't know like how many things we're going to have in the store to start with, but you know, if we if we hear the same thing from a bunch of you, then we're more likely to to make that thing happen. Yeah. And some of the ideas we have already have come from that very scenario. So, yeah, right. Uh, yeah. Thanks oh, everybody. And um what? we're part of, we're part of the Hickam oh, Podcast thing. Network. Yeah. Uh, you can. They, there are a bunch of shows on the network. You go headgum.com, find out more about them. Um, Craig, is there any show that you want to make your your pick a week, or are you good? Uh, let me see. I think that uh, I was just watching Friends with you like a week or so ago. With the sound off. With the sound off, which seems like a great way to enjoy the Best of Friends podcast. So maybe we should try that sometime. <laughs> Wait, with the sound off? Yeah, we should just watch an episode of Friends and listen to the Best of Friends podcast uh, where uh, Krista, Mallory, and Jamie go through episodes of Friends one episode at a time. Oh, I thought you meant that listening to the Best of Friends podcast was best done with the sound off. No, no, I meant that we should okay. watch Friends with the sound off and listen to their show. Okay, that sounds good. I would do that. All right, everybody. We, this is an ep- this bonus episode out of time, so we don't know when you're listening to it, but until the next time you hear us, try to be happy. Sneeze. Oh, oh no! Oh no! It's still oh, in there. No. Oh, it's not coming out. Oh, oh no! no. Sneeze, sneeze watch. Oh, <laughs> sneeze watch. Twenty fifteen. It could, it could come at any moment. He was born in Andy Weir was born in nineteen seventy two. That was a headgum podcast.